Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the companies they work for. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. And today is a very special day because once a quarter, we are joined by the last Queen of Scotland, Morag Cudderford-Jones, who is looking forward to her beloved rugby team's impending defeat at Twickenham on Saturday to England. And between being the last Queen of Scotland and following her rugby team. She is, of course, editor of the wonderful Super Soar Away Catalyst magazine. Morag, how are you today? I am very well, thank you very much, Ben, and it was lovely talking to you on this podcast. (laughs) Bye-bye. Losing to England, honestly. I, 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 well, I, I tease, I tease. I've absolutely no idea what the result will be. And you've got the better record, I think, recently in, in that match. So we'll see. Teasing is allowed. Teasing is allowed. Good, good. And we're also joined today by a special guest, Amy Keane, who is founder and creative director of Good Shout. And Amy's been featured in the magazine. We're going to be talking to her a little bit later. But first, I'll say hi to you, Amy. How are you? I'm good. And I couldn't care less about rugby. Well, there we go. We've got a neutral. We've got a neutral here, Morag, to, 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 between the barricades. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all right. Perhaps, perhaps, Amy, we can discuss about the wrong shaped ball in that case. But uh, definitely <laughs> rug, rugby has to be close to my heart. A true Scot married to a Welshman. I wouldn't get away with it otherwise. <laughs> there we are. Bit of a backstory for our Morag fans there. Ladies, we are starting, of course, as we always do with Morag, as a review of the magazine, which should have landed on your doormats, uh, if you're CIM members, about a fortnight ago. Worldwide, um, our members should be getting it and it soon, will soon, too, be available in digital form. Um, you have gone, you have dipped your toe in the water and tried to deal with the horrible R word, have you not, Morag, this time? resolutions i have stayed away from that word at the start of the year every year since i started on this magazine and i'm afraid i capitulated i gave in i had to resolve to do something so yes and it just it felt like a natural time to talk about it it felt like beyond the usual sort of resolutions i must be thin and beautiful and i must shop and buy beautiful clothes and my children will be all be polished and i will have fantastic animals and i will do good things for the community and all this stuff i felt like that this really does feel like a time when people businesses i will avoid saying governments are resolving to do better and so it felt like a time to talk a little bit about what a resolution might actually mean Have you made any big marketing resolutions for this year, Amy? I actually have. And it's a weird one. So I've worked in marketing for nearly 20 years. And now I in innovation, creativity for global agencies. And now I run my own business. And obviously, I do marketing for my own brand. I'm pretty good at marketing, I have to be honest. So my resolutions are limited. But mine for 2023 is embrace the cringe Oh, yeah. Yes, because everyone always gets so embarrassed about putting themselves out there, trying new stuff, being a bit different, being a bit odd, eccentric, whatever. Sometimes taking risks with your marketing and your creativity and your message will die on its ass. Other times it will really work and it will really resonate. I'm making a pledge to myself to experiment this year. 
And sometimes it's going to make me cringe and it's going to make other people cringe. And other times it might just work. Are you going to be passing on that advice to your clients as well? A good shout. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, that's the thing is that what I've realized is that, and I think it's because the marketing industry is so close these days, so familial. We know everything that each other's doing. We know everybody's thoughts. We know every new trend that every brand is embracing. It's made us really self-aware. And so I train people in communications and public speaking and writing and all that stuff. And it surprises me on a regular basis how self-aware people are and the negative impact that that has on the way that they communicate. Interesting. We'll probably be talking a little bit more about that later. But before we do, I'm going to ask Morag what resolutions she herself is making for this year. So my resolution is to be more intentional, to be more intentional about the stuff I do during the day so we're all very aware we doom scroll don't we I don't really have an hour to kill but I've seemed to have killed an hour by just scrolling endlessly through social media the same newspaper it's like I keep refreshing the newspaper expecting there to be some major new story for me to read it's not it's all the same but specifically for the marketing context and from a personal point of view it'll be interesting to see is intentional consumption to be intentional about buying I'm sure it's the Amazonization of how we buy stuff. See it, so easy to get it, we click it, buy it. Did we really need it? Well, we did in that instant, but I think about the amount of things that I've bought on a whim and I, I couldn't tell you what they are or where they are. So my decision is to purchase more intentionally. I'm not going to stop consuming. That's, you know, that's unrealistic. It's, it's, my, it's my youngest son's 15th birthday today. Trust me, consumption happened on an almost epic scale this morning. Food, presents, the whole lot. But if I do consume, I need to make sure I really want it. I really need it. I'm buying the best version of it that I can afford and justify. And I'm trying to project, you know, so, so related to that is, will it last the length of time I need it for? And if I don't need it for a very long amount of time, unless it's actually, you know, food, which is very limited in the time you have it, um, do I need it at all? So I've actually started writing down. Everyone loves a new journal this time of year, don't they? I've started writing down in the back of my journal for this month, any time a whim comes upon me, you know, we really could do with a new sofa. So it comes to something if you buy a sofa on a whim, doesn't it? Um, I really need a new sofa or I really fancy new gym leggings or something. Instead of buying it, I write it down. I write it in the list. And do you know what? It scratches the itch. Most of the time, it scratches the itch. And I don't need to buy it. I go back and go, didn't really want it after all. You have cracked a decades-long affliction for the human race of retail addiction, have you then? There you go. That's my solution to the world. I don't think I've cracked it. I've probably cracked already. I tried to make it a no-spend January and then went a bit hog-wild in... Um, in the Oracle in Reading at <laughs> the weekend. But, you know, I, I did my best. Um, I think also this is the thing with resolutions, isn't it? It's all or nothing. It's always so extreme. I will never eat meat or dairy again. And then you fall at the nearest dairy hurdle. You know, um, I will never do this or that. Or I will always go to the gym 15 times a week. And of course, the pressure gets too much and you crack and you binge on chocolate. You outspend your credit card and you never go near the gym ever again trying to say I will do something with my best intention so intentional buying and then my best intention hopefully means I will 
be very far from perfect, but I might be a smidge better than I was last year. There's a psychological reason why resolutions don't work. And I've always shied away from resolutions, but everyone in my life always likes to broadcast a list of 20 things that they intend to do in the coming year. There's a psychological process called self-symbolic completion, where the process of saying that you're going to do something gives you almost as much satisfaction as doing it. This is why people love to list. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to eat healthily. In your mind, the kudos that you're giving yourself for even declaring it is almost enough. And that's why, exactly to your point, Morag, resolutions never work because we trick ourselves. We trick ourselves. We get the dopamine hit from saying we're going to do it without actually doing it. And we make it binary, all or nothing. Um, so apart from that, apart from those amazing revelations, you've, you've, you've realised that we can have retail therapy without buying anything. Um, we've realised that resolutions don't have to be all or nothing. And as, as, as Amy says, that actually just seeing saying you're going to do something is as good psychologically as actually doing it. Is there anything else? Is there any room for anything else in Catalyst that's going to shock your readers? Well, I think, I don't know if it'll shock them, but a couple of things occurred to me this issue. So it's really linked to this talking about resolutions, Amy, you talking about, you know, writing something down makes you feel like you've actually done it. Obviously, I've just said I don't want to buy as much, which is going to strike fear into the heart of every retailer that reads our magazine. But I think, I feel we've come up with a bit of a solution for them, or rather our very lovely contributors have, because we talk in the cover story about experiential Um, retail specifically and we are trying to make sure we don't consume and buy as much tat and as much and and try and push as much you know pointless nonsense but people are also realizing they want more connection with things without coming over all Marie Kondo about things you want to pick something up and have it spark joy well do you know what I have a mug of tea sitting next to me and that mug is a mug It's, it's a mug and it comes from a fairly standard high street store But it sparks joy because it's a mug that was given to me by a friend. It's not a very special mug. It's not even bone china. But it was given to me because it matches the colours of the kitchen that she designed for me. And she gave it to me on the first day I was able to actually use my new kitchen. Ah. So it's an experience. That mug is the same as every other mug in my house. But it has an experience attached to it. And it doesn't have to be a £3,000 designer handbag to have an amazing experience to it. I think it's about £4.99. So retailers, whatever sector they're in, I know we have a couple of really interesting sectors in the cover story. We talk about a cannabis store in America, for example, and that experience is, as you'd expect, as freakazoidal (laughs) as you can possibly go. I mean, some of the images in that cover story are fantastic. but you can build all sorts of experiences around what a retailer may consider to be their fairly mundane products. So I think that's a real, it's not necessarily a shocking thing for our readers, but I think that's a really good takeaway for me. It's fascinating stuff, isn't it? I mean, just we should say actually, before we move on, I'm gonna pick up on the immersion theme, that Morag is celebrating her fifth year now as editor of Catalyst magazine. Is that right, Morag? Oh my Lord, I can't believe we're in it the fifth year. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's it's brilliant, but I keep sitting here going, I am gonna have something new to say, aren't I? You know, I come up I come yes. up to that leader every issue and go, Oh, I better say something new. I can't just keep repeating the same old stuff. And I th- I feel 
really proud to say that from the contributors, the readers who send in ideas and contribute everything from reviews to features, interviews, I don't think there is ever one issue where I've put down the phone or received a submission and gone, yeah, well, we've heard that before, but we'll put it in anyway. I know. It is, it is mega fresh and it's a testament to you and your editing. It's been absolutely brilliant five years. We're looking forward to the next five with you. More ad. Freshness. Yeah, fresh idea. Immersion. You've already touched upon it. Cannabis stores and more. Can you tell us a little bit about this uh, cover story, actually, and the issue that's landing on doormats in the last fortnight? So, yeah, so to, to talk about the cover story, what it means to have an immersive experience, retailers we know are having to work harder. I think they've benefited from a little bit of post-COVID bounce in that we were all desperate to get out, just like the travel industry got absolutely chocker really quickly. And we saw how badly wrong that went because then all the booking lines fell over and all the lines of the, the airlines got too difficult and everything else. But there was a certain amount of, yay, we're back to a different experience. But I think that wore off pretty quickly because they went, yeah, and department stores, what are left of them, are still boring and horrible and a bit smelly and yuck. And actually, this isn't convenient and I can't find the size of shoes that I want. Um, I'm going back to online. There are exceptions to that, but they tend to be at the top end of the department stores. Is that fair? There are. Yes. I mean, the, I, I, I think I'm probably just going with my experience of my local department stores, which are very much the mid range ones that we see in the press all the time going why aren't they doing anything about this? They're underinvested in, they are often shells that have been taken over by someone else that's had to happen quickly because the rent's got to be paid and all this stuff. There's very little, here we go again, intentionality behind what happens in a department store, I don't think. Um, but in general, just shopping, being able to go out on the high street has to now be a bit more than find the tra trainers, pay for the trainers, take the trainers home. It has to have some kind of reason for us to leave our cosy homes, for us to realise that we may not find what we want right off the bat. We've got to really get over this, haven't we? This instant gratification thing. I think this underpins a lot of how we behave. And it's amazing how fast that, that behaviour and that psychology has changed in us as people, isn't it? We're all about the immediacy. We're all in about the, I want it right now, I have to have it right now, even if we either regret it or forget it, you know, five minutes later. So I think immersive experiences where we go in, where the brands, the retail brands begin to mean something more to us. Either they can be a new revenue stream, you know, you can have um, beauty brands selling spa experiences that you pay for, you know, the, the makeovers in department stores used to be gratis because you wanted them to buy the products but what's the, i'd pay for a spa experience in a spa if you make it beautiful for me in the same place I'd, there's no reason i wouldn't pay for it there bricks and mortar experiences have to be something else now um and it may actually make us better consumers in the end because we won't suddenly want something delivered to our door snap we'll be willing to wait we'll be willing to think about it we might find ourselves with a bit more cash in our pockets because we've only bought one good thing, not three bits of tat. It's interesting. So, bring you in. It's interesting. I'll bring you in here, Amy, because I mean the shopping example is a great one, but this immersion idea strikes me it can be applied to lots of things. You're an advocate, aren't you, for actually doing that and having what we could now call immersive in-person <laughs> in experiences. 
<laughs> I do think that the word immersive is being slightly overused right. in culture, not by Morag. <laughs> I mean, the way that she's using it is absolutely right. I think that the way that the marketing world and the communications world in general is using the word immersion is making a slight mockery of the word immersion. It's what we do with every word that's quite nice. Storytelling got completely bastardized and ruined by the advertising industry. Gamification, such an interesting concept, like a psychologically grounded concept, got ruined by the advertising industry about 10 years ago. <laughs> um, everyone's promising immersive experiences now. Normally, that just means that there's some kind of sampling activity in Waterloo Station concourse. But I do think um, something that I've noticed just picking up on the retail thing is that during COVID, for example, there were lots of D2C brands that absolutely smashed it online brands like beauty pie you know loads of um kind of indie brands that managed to get a consumer because we had nothing else to do i i used to do my shopping drunk a lot during covid because it made me a lot more spontaneous <laughs> and i always say that when you're drunk you buy what your heart truly desires and more another I go, retail tip audience another retail tip i mean we're full of them today <laughs> there's the drunk shopping industry is worth billions billions because you're bored you're sitting at home people buy tickets for stuff when they're drunk they buy clothes that they wouldn't normally buy anyway I digress slightly one thing that I noticed post-covid is that all of these D2C brands that were blowing up decided to try and create a feeling and some kind of loyalty by um, launching immersive experiences. So Beauty Pie is a good example, but I think it's an example of an immersive experience done really badly. They created a pop-up. So they're an online retailer, right? They only do um, direct-to-consumer and there's some kind of subscription thing in play. So you get cheaper products if you remember. They had a pop-up shop in Covent Garden and it was, it looked nice. It was pretty slick in terms of how it was decorated. The queue I went to it. The queue was like 100 people long. The pop-up shop itself was rammed. You, could, you couldn't get any kind of assistance. There were way too many people in there. And essentially, it was just the products that you could buy online in a space. And that was their attempt. But I've seen lots of brands do the same thing. They think that just having a bricks and mortar area and selling their products is an immersive experience. It's not. It's actually kind of traditionalizing what they're doing. Well, that's that's the opposite of immersive. Presumably yeah. just waiting to buy some lipstick. You can tell I'm not an expert on beauty, but um <laughs> You know, I'm sure that's one of their products. And, um, you know, it's not just Beauty Pie, is it? You, the lot, as you say, that's just one example. We're not here to sort of hammer hammer Beauty Pie, a brand that many people love. But that's one example of getting it wrong. It's the opposite of immersiveness, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost, you know, you're, you're, you're stuck outside waiting to buy something. Yeah. Um, so what is a good example? What should we be aiming for then when we're trying to deliver immersive experiences in retail and other areas? So what I think is, you know, that I, I don't know the technical de- definition of the word immersive, but I would imagine, I mean, my definition would be an experience that makes the most of every single one of your senses so that it encourages true escapism. Immersive experiences for me are an escape from the day to day. I wanted to share an example because I did. I went to I'm a sucker for immersive theatre. 
and any opportunity if there's ever a new one I will always try it out there's an amazing show called the gunpowder plot which is an immersive a, a multi-sensory multi-technology immersive theater experience that takes you through the story behind the um, Guy Fawkes gunpowder plot and what was amazing about that and I have seen other brands kind of play with this a lot of booze brands um, tend to do this it used VR and a real life venue the vaults in Tower Hill and real life storytelling and all of that stuff combined just made you feel like you were somewhere else completely and because of all those things combined I will never forget it it's, it's really impressive actually that is an amazing definition, isn't it, Morag? An all-sensory experience. All five senses must be ticked off for it to be immersive. Otherwise, you're not truly immersed. And in the mag, presumably, you've got examples of that, have you? I, I, I wonder if Amy's read the mag. One of the headlines in the immersive story is an all-sensors experience. So she's yeah. right on it. Perfect. Right. We have, I mean, yes, she's absolutely right. I mean, things, when Amy was saying about the gunpowder plot, what was coming to my mind was the Stranger Things experience, you know, the, the secret cinema type things where you have actors dressed up as them and you become a participant. I think that's a, that's a really important part as well, isn't it, Amy? The participation feeling. I'm not just watching someone having fun in this thing. I'm not, what you know, I could watch Stranger Things on, the, on Netflix and, and enjoy it, but I'm actually there. I feel like I might be, you know, like an, <laughs> Extra. You don't feel like you're outside it. You feel like you're an extra. So I could be an extra in Stranger Things. I may not be Steve, you know, but I may be Steve's pal who's being brought along in the experience. And I think retailers need to do that as well. You're not just going in to look at everyone else having a glamorous time. You want to be feeling the glamour. And we do have loads of um, examples in this about, you know, the all senses I referred to the, the cannabis uh, store which is perfectly legal where it is and you know it's all about the art and it's all about feeling I mean how do you replicate what it feels like to be stoned well you make everything vivid I mean I think we've got a brilliant picture I'm not suggesting that read Catalyst and you'll feel stoned but we've got a brilliant image in there that I can imagine you walk into this store and it's intense it's a vivid lurid purple with neon everywhere and you just suddenly feel you don't have to be <laughs> on drugs to know that this is how I'm going to feel if I purchase something from here. And even if I don't purchase something, boy, have I felt it when I went in. There's also real life Monopoly. I can, no disrespect to Monopoly, I've spent many years playing it with many teenagers. I think I've reached my limit of Monopoly now. But they have a Monopoly real life version. And I can see more people enjoying the Monopoly real life thing than actually playing Monopoly. Sounds like much more fun. You know, there's people dressed up as the Scotty dog and we say they have to have the personality of the Scotty dog. I'm not quite sure at what point a human adopts the personality of a Scotty dog. Yeah, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't like to be allocated the wheelbarrow for, the, for that. <laughs> I think someone was, if I remember correctly, someone was allocated submarine. Right. <laughs> Battleship, that's what it Battleship. was. Battleship, I was going to say, I can't remember the submarine being in it. <laughs> yes, so, um, but yeah, I mean, Amy's absolutely right. A, immersive has been overused to the point of blandness. So when, you know, when we as consumers, is, we get an invite, come and join this immersive experience. Oh, you're going to give me a sample of 15 milliliters of something to slather on my face. It'll make me break out. Um, when actually real immersion is what may well be the saviour of the high street, she says in no uncertain big claim. 
yeah, but 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 surely, if anything, is it this this seems to be we have got examples of it working, and there's a big brand. I'm not going to name them. Um, you can guess the brand in uh, London. It has other uh, branches, big department store, which, if you are into shopping, is a very good retail experience. You know, it stands out. It has beaten the trend. And there are good examples of it happening. There are forerunners and frontrunners, are there not, Amy Keener, are getting this right? I think so. Um, out of necessity, there's certain types of brands. So in my advertising career, I worked for a lot of fragrances. So I worked for Jean-Paul Gaultier, I worked for Paco Rabanne and numerous others, Nina Ritchie. And they've had, it's interesting when you have a brand that has no choice and they have to deliver. And with fragrance brands, well, not only do they need to provide real life experiences because they need you to smell them, <laughs> but they're also, they're not just selling a product, they're selling a lifestyle. And this is why every single Christmas you will see big fragrance brands taking over malls. They'll have ice skating rinks, they'll have massive castles, they'll have vodka luges at nightclubs. They'll, they're selling, they're not just selling a product, they're selling a feeling anyway. That's why fragrance ads are so ridiculous and surreal. And I think because they have no choice, they're fantastic at it. I remember, yeah. was it, it was the, the Brighton Pride before COVID hit. Jean-Paul Gaultier was my client, but the fragrances. We created, during Brighton Pride, we created a marching band performance. So we got loads of men and women dressed in sailor outfits and we got them to march down the streets of Brighton playing instrumentals of Kylie songs. <laughs> smelling of Jean-Paul Gaultier and um, then we released an instrument a brass instrumental version of Can't Get You Out of My Head on Spotify because you have to stand out and you have to, you have to make an impact and you can also tell I can I think you can also tell Netflix have a field day with this you can tell when a brand is having fun Absolutely. and the consumers feel that too they do. And this is a big part of what you do, isn't it? Being noticed, you know, yeah. not just seen, but noticed, not just listened to, but heard. That's a big yeah. part of what you do with your clients. And these these are these are experts at this. But you've got tips for outside the retail experience from being in, in 2023 to be noticed and be heard. Yes. So Good Shout is, well, we're kind of learning in development, really, but actually... <laughs> We do provide immersive training experiences as well. <laughs> so I have jumped wholeheartedly onto the bandwagon. We like our we like our training to make people feel like they're not at work. Yeah. So idea. we help people experiment with their voice and their talent and their thinking because my hypothesis is that the world of advertising, but just industries in general, have too much noise, too much mindless talking and not enough value is added by people brands businesses so we do encourage people to re I call it mindful communication to really think about the words that they're using and how much they're talking and how much their the things they say aligns with what they do and it's I've been doing this this in particular good shout for a couple of years now and it stuns me the, the the size of the vast chasm between what people say and what they do will never not surprise me. 
or no, will never surprise me, whatever it is, it surprises me. <laughs> being noticed and being heard is what we're about as marketers, isn't it, really? Also, that's the, the point of us. It sounds like an enduring theme. And immersiveness is, of course, a way of being noticed and being heard um, in, in the retail space, which is another of our big topics in Catalyst. Is it a theme, do you think, that we're going to see more of this year? It seems to me to be a bit of a zeitgeist point. I think Amy's absolutely right. There's so much noise and so little substance. And we see it in everything. You see it in brands trying to communicate purpose. We do have tiny spoiler alert for the next issue talking about jumping on bandwagons. You know, something comes along, something zeitgeisty and some brand, some marketing director or actually worse, usually someone who's not in marketing will go, we got to get on this. This is totally us. We've got to get on it. They leap upon the bandwagon. They trip, fall flat on their face. Everyone piles on. And this is different to perhaps having a cringy moment of trying something and getting it wrong. This is not thinking and getting it wrong. Everyone can think something through and it'll still go wrong. You tried, well done, we move on. Not thinking is you're guaranteed to get it wrong. So all this noise of we must join in this, uh, this statement, we must join in this purpose, we must join in this campaign, we must join, jump onto this tournament, we must jump onto this popular TV show without thinking, without taking a moment and going, am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to do the right thing? Is this the right thing for me to do? Do people care that I'm going to say anything about this? I think we're always, and I think Amy, this might be something that you often say, you know, we're all too busy about saying something, but not actually thinking about what we're gonna say before we say it, or possibly not even saying it at all. I find, that you know I train people to be better spokespeople and I train people to communicate with more discipline and more impact and what I've noticed and it's affected how I communicate you know what I've noticed is that most people in the world of business open their mouths and hope for the best in conversation <laughs> in conversation in meetings on panels People rarely think about what they say. And, and it, the world is, of business has become so dominated by jargon. These things that we say that we know aren't wrong, that make us sound okay and confident, but increasingly it's meaningless. Um, there's loads of research studies that have been conducted into jargon and how we use it as a comfort blanket. And actually jargon is a massive sign of insecurity even when we talk in advertising about engagement and real-time agile solutions it's just a, 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 a smoke and mirrors way of talking that shows that you don't massively know what you're talking about but you want to save face in a situation there was a study conducted this massive research project um 64,000 university dissertations were audited and what it found was the lower the status of the university, the more jargon the author used. But there's, there's an amazing resource, I thoroughly recommend it, called The Bland Book. And you can look it up online, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a, it's a bunch of examples of how we have become really bland in the way that we talk about brands and business and even award submissions and strategies. We're all just using the same language. It's a, it's a massive turnoff, isn't it, jargon? As you say, you touched on it earlier, when your, your sessions, you make them feel like you know, people aren't at work. And there's, there's a surefire way to, for people to feel like they are at work is to hear a lot of 
buzzwords and cliches and empty statements. I mean, perhaps you've hinted, have you, Morag, maybe both of you, a little bit of the sort of things we can expect in the magazine this year. Bandwagon jumping, a war on blandness, or these are sorts of things that we can expect. Certainly the blandness. We'll be looking into creativity. Why we're so frightened to stick our necks out. I think there's a great example. This is kind of linked, kind of not, that's actually in the current magazine. And it's about companies reacting to events properly. We'll just do something. The beer company, they're using technology on their live out-of-home advertising boards to say there is now peak electricity in this region, you can find a cold beer. And helping businesses who can't operate because their fridges have gone down, they can link up perhaps with another one down the street who has electricity because they're all suffering. South Africa is notorious for really poor electricity provision. And we in the West, North, Northern Hemisphere, whichever bit of geography you would like to call it, we've been sitting pretty for so long going, well, we have constant electricity. We have, actually that threat's very real right now. We've had discussions in the national press about who the national grid is going to ask to turn their kettles off between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. But that's an example, not of a company issuing platitudes or saying, oh, we'll give 1% of our profits, which is, it's generous, it's lovely, but by God, make sure it goes somewhere. This is a company going, we'll do something useful. And so the jargon, the bland, the doing something because everyone else is doing it. I really think this is the year, step up and step above it. You have the resources, you have an immense amount of talented people, networks and infrastructure. Do something with it. Stick it with the parapet. Stick it with the parapet. Do something with it. If you want to be noticed, if you want to avoid blandness and be interesting, if you want to be immersed, or if you just want to find a cold drink, you have one point of call, and that is Catalyst magazine. And what a great, great show this has been. I want to say thank you to my fantastic guest, Amy Keane from Good Shout, and of course, Morag Cudderford Jones, editor of Catalyst. Has it been immersive, Ben? Has it been an immersive? It has been immersive. Has been immersive. I think I've probably used only three of my senses, but that 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 seemed almost enough in this experience. We have dunked Ben in the denizens of marketing, and he has emerged intact. <laughs> no, it's been great fun. It's been great fun, ladies. Thank you very much indeed. See you both again very soon. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. CIM Marketing Podcast. <laughs>